Hey, welcome to our online sermons at Coastal Community Church. So glad that uh, you're checking these sermons out on our internet and, and on our website. And so I want to welcome you. And, and I do want to encourage you that these sermons, online sermons, should be a supplement to your spiritual growth. But one of the things that we're big believers in at Coastal Community Church and I uh, want to encourage you is to find a home church uh, where you can not only grow in teaching, but also grow in community with other believers. So if you don't have a home church near you and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to invite you to Coastal Community Church. We just recently moved uh, to 101 Village Avenue. We have two services, uh, 915 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out one of our services here in the community. Over the summer, uh, a lot of changes going on at Coastal Community Church. We're changing locations, and and part of what we wanted to focus on in the summer as we move into our new location is to remind us of the one thing that doesn't change and won't change at Coastal, and that's that we wanted to lift up the person and the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews is the perfect letter to remind us that Jesus is greater than anything we could imagine. And so I hope you'll join us and enjoy this sermon called Greater Than. Well, good morning, Coastal Community Church. It is great to see you this morning. I'll do that again. Good morning. It's great to see you. So we're going to do something a little different. I don't, is Amanda behind me? Amanda, you back there? All right. So I got to do something really weird this morning, and I hate this stuff. So uh, we want to, but here's the good news. All right. We're kind of prepping for September the 18th. So if you don't know what September 18th is, that's our grand opening. And uh, we're going to have a ribbon cutting that day, and we're going to equip you guys to invite your neighbors to our new location. And, and uh, so we're really excited about that. So part of that is we want to redo our... Um, our, our information uh, pamphlets out at the front. So we want to add some pictures. So Brian, could you bring the house lights all the way up? And, and uh, yeah, there you go. See your pretty little faces. So when we first thought, said that, did this, uh, a couple people on my staff said, hey, we want to get a picture of you. And I said, there's not a chance that I'm going to be in the front of that packet, all right? And, uh, and some of that is theological, actually, for me. Uh, I am not the church, okay? Uh, we're the church. And so as we talked about this, we said, you know what? We want a picture of the church body, uh, every person here that says, hey, this is my home church, you're a part of the church. And so we talked about, man, what's important to us at Coastal, and that's what we want to reflect. You can come on out, all right? So this is going to be super awkward, uh, but I'm going to make it a teaching moment, okay? Uh, and so I want you to, everybody get your Bible out. Now, don't hold it up like me, all right? But just get it out, all right? So if you're new to Coastal, uh, this is one of the things you need to know about Coastal Community Church. As I get ready to uh, teach this morning, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, and if you're new uh, to Coastal Community Church or you're a long time at Coastal Community Church, we hold this book up and we believe it's the Word of God. And like we just read in Psalm 93, verse 5, we believe this teaches us about the character, the holiness, and the laws of God. And they're unchanging and they're eternal. And we don't worship the God of our making. We worship the God who is, as revealed to us in the Word of God, okay? And so this is very, very important to us at Coastal Community Church. And so, uh, so with that, in the chair in front of you is a Bible, okay? And as we start the sermon, would you do me a favor and get that Bible out? That's all you're getting, so I hope you got it, all right? So, uh, so would you get that Bible out? And uh, would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12? If you don't own a Bible, okay? Um, we want you to take that one with you. That's our gift to you. We would love for you to have a copy of the Word of God and read it and, and uh, make that a part of your life. Okay, good enough? Good enough? Too bad. All right, if not, well, you'll have to, I don't know, can't you Photoshop this stuff nowadays? I don't know. 
make me look fit. Could you do that? Like, yeah, man, he looks great up there. Uh, but, you know, you guys, I really wanted the church body to be highlighted going forward because you're the church. I'm the church together. We serve the Lord together. Good news? All right, do me a favor. Get that out. There's a handout in your bulletin. You can follow along with me there. Uh, my son has, I said this a couple weeks ago, has taken up golf. And uh, probably about a month, month and a half ago, he played in a golf tournament in Charlottesville. And uh, it's the, it's the uh, he, we, he played on the course that the UVA golf team plays on. So it's a course called Birdwood and, um, and go who's right. Uh, and so we actually got to meet the, uh, the, the, uh, the Virginia golf coach. That was really cool. And, uh, and so we, my son and I went a day early to play the course. And so he could play it before the tournament and, and it gave me an opportunity to play as well. And so, uh, so we get there on Friday and I said, you know, I walk up to the desk and I said, Hey, we want to play the course. And the guy said, are you going to be walking or riding? You know, in other words, running a cart, I'm cheap. And so I said, Oh, we're walking, you know, we're definitely walking. He looked at me like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, we're walking, you know? And so the front nine went okay. What I was unaware of is the back nine is carved out of the mountains of Charlottesville, okay? And so we would get to the bottom of a, a hill. We'd get, you know, you'd play a hole, you'd get down to the green and the next tee box, you would hike up this mountain, okay? So I'm pulling my clubs and I literally would get to the next tee box and I'd be like, yes, no, no son, you go ahead and hit. I'll be hitting in a minute, you know? Like, and we did that for about five holes, and it was exhausting, you know? And the golf scores went like this, you know, as we went like this. And it was just, it was a physical test. And, and that's what happens when you walk the mountains, right? And mountains can be tough. And, and, and this morning, we're going to, the author of Hebrews, so we've been going through Hebrews. If you're just joining us, as we've been going through the letter of Hebrews. And we're in chapter 12. There's one chapter to go. Chapter 13, very practical, kind of the so what's of following Christ. And But in, in finishing up chapter 12, the author here kind of summarizes everything he's been saying. And he's a preacher. He can't help himself. He's just going to repeat himself. That's what we do, okay? That's how we make our living, just repeating ourselves over and over and over. And so he repeats himself, and he does it with a story of two mountains, and one mountain is, is filled with, with the hope that you have this morning if you're a Christian, but the other mountain is, is terrifying and exhausting. And just like playing golf in the mountains of Charlottesville, it can be exhausting. The first mountain is essential for you to know and to understand if you're going to understand your need for the gospel. And so it's a tale of two mountains. And the first mountain that the author brings to our attention is Mount Sinai, the mountain where the law of God was given to Moses. So check this out. If you have your Bible or in your handout, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, Mount Sinai. The author says, you've not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire or darkness or gloom and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. They heard, a, they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. And they staggered back under God's commands. If, if even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. And Moses himself was so frightened at the sight, he said, I am terrified and I'm trembling. 
So there's two mountains we're going to look at this morning. It's, it's an illustration of the character of God, if you will. And the first mountain is Mount Sinai, which is representative of the law of God. And, and what the author of Hebrews is referring to is all the way back to Exodus chapter 19 and chapter 20. Now, to give you a little, just a full-orbed picture here this morning, okay? Chapter 19 and 20, the children of Israel have been rescued from the Egyptians. And even if you're new to church life, you probably know the story that Moses, there were the plague, all these plagues that God did through the hand of Moses to reveal his glory and to unseat the children of Israel out of the grips of, 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 of Egyptian slavery. And eventually they cross the Red Sea with this mighty miracle. And then God provides the manna out in the wilderness. And they go out in the wilderness, they come to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God shows up. In a very visible, almost, almost physical way. Of course, we know physically it's in Christ, but, but there's this, the character of God shows up at Mount Sinai. And it's where, if you, if you know your Bibles, 19 and 20 is where God gives the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. And as he does that, he, he, he literally tells Moses, now you need, to, you need to fence off the mountain. I'm about to descend on the mountain. I'm about to give you the Ten Commandments. And as I descend on this mountain, all right, make sure no one touches it. I'm going to call you up, Moses, but nobody, if anybody even touches it, they need to be put to death. If an animal were to stray onto that mountain, that, that animal needs to be put to death. Now, remember, he's writing to recently Christian converted Jews, okay? So they knew their Old Testament. They knew these stories. And they would have known Exodus chapter 19. Here we get this picture in Exodus 19 of what's happening on Mount Sinai. It says, on the morning of the third day, okay, this is all going on around Mount Sinai. Thunder roared and lightning flashed and a, a dense cloud came down on the mountain and there was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn and all the people trembled. And Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain and all of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of a fire and smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln and the whole mountain shook violently. Verse 19, as the blast of the ram's horn grew louder, Moses spoke and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on top of Mount Sinai, called Moses on top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. Then the Lord told Moses, go back down and, and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord or they will what? Be loved, right? Isn't that what it says? Right? We, wait a minute. We worship a loving God, right? I mean, isn't that the culture we live in? No, warn the people, don't come on the mountain or you're going to die. Mount Sinai, church, is incredibly important to you understanding the gift of salvation. And we're going to get to the second mountain in a minute, but man, we have to pause for a moment and understand God's incredibly gracious gift of the revelation of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is, is actually quite terrifying. We'll get to that in a minute. The, the problem with much of Christianity in America is there is no proclamation of Mount Sinai. 
We jump straight to the fact, and by the way, we do serve and we do worship a loving God, but you, the first revelation of God really for us is Mount Sinai. And if we forget that, there, we, we don't understand the gospel at all. No one is reminding us of this first revelation of God. Without Mount Sinai, you will never understand your need for a savior. You will never understand your need for grace. You will never understand the need to be saved from the penalty of your sin. Mount Sinai reminds us of the God who is. He's not the God of our making. He's holy. He's completely, apart from Christ, unapproachable by man. Mount Sinai reminds us that we don't ultimately deserve to be in the presence of God. And there's no gospel without this understanding. And this is not being preached in American churches. And it's why the gospel of Jesus in our culture has no teeth. It has no bite. It has no understanding. Mount Sinai is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And by the way, the Ten Commandments are not mere suggestions that you get to follow if you want to. The Ten Commandments are or is the character of the God of the Bible. That's who he is. And the expectation for you, if you're going to enter the presence of God, is that you, every moment of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, of every decade of your life, you perfectly keep the Ten Commandments. That's the only way that you get to be in the presence of God. And if you've ever stumbled on one, the story of the rich young ruler, you've broken them all. And what you deserve then, as you enter Mount Sinai, is to be consumed by God. That's what you deserve. And so this author, he he reminds these people that there are two revelations, there are two mountains. And so Mount Sinai is in some ways, no, no, let me back up. Mount Sinai is a gracious gift to us from God. It's the mirror to our souls, to our, who we really are. We should look at Mount Sinai and we should go, I don't measure up because I have lied and I have coveted. I've profaned the name of God. I haven't been holy and I've stolen. And so I'm all of those things. I'm a liar and I'm a thief and I'm an adulterer and on and on the list. I'm all of those things as we read through the Ten Commandments, and we hold up the mirror of God's character, and it should terrify us. That is the beginning point of the gospel. How's the gospel presented in our culture? How's it start? Most gospel presentations are called, how's it start? You know, God loves you, right? God loves you, and he has a what, long-time Christians, what? Wonderful plan for your life. Apart from Christ, it's destruction. How about that for a wonderful plan, right? No, 
the, the author of Hebrews, when he presents the gospel, he starts with the law of God and he starts with Mount Sinai. And he's reminding us, this was the very first revelation of God to his people so that you understand that you're, when you enter the presence of God, it is holy, terrifying. God is a judge as well as God is love, but he is judge. And because that's who he is, what we deserve is the judgment and the justice and the wrath of God poured out upon us. I hope you understand that this morning. Because I cannot give you the good news unless you sit for a minute and you reflect on who you really are. Mount Sinai is supposed to be terrifying. It's supposed to be. That's why God fenced it off. So don't let anybody touch it. Don't let me come near the thunder. It shakes. The mount, whole mountain shakes. Until you you have a holy fear of God, you have no place to receive the grace of God. There is no gospel without preaching the holiness of God. There is no gospel without preaching the sin of man. There is no gospel without preaching the need of repentance. By the way, Jesus said in Mark chapter one, the good news is here, you need to believe. Isn't that what he said? No, that's not why it's a leading question. No, everyone's afraid to answer now, right? Like, I don't know. He might throw me in the... No, Jesus said, you need to repent and believe. There's no gospel without repentance, which deals with sin, which deals with God's character, which deals with Mount Sinai. Does that make sense? So apart from Christ, the starting point And your relationship with God is that you're a sinner. In fact, the scriptures go so far to actually imply the idea that you're actually with, apart from Christ, you're at war with the true and living God. You're not neutral. This past week, I hesitate to say this because this kind of merges politics and scripture, and I I I try not to do that. I try to do as little as possible, but the culture's kind of demanding some of it, and I'm a sports nut, you know, and so I'm listening to ESPN radio this week, and the big story middle of the week was that the NBA is pulling the all-star game out of North Carolina because of a law that they have. Now, I've done a little research. There's some things about this law I don't like. I feel like there's some pork in it. It could probably be pulled out, but, but what's getting all the attention, at least, is that, uh, that North Carolina has said in the state of North Carolina, in, in government-run institutions that are paid for by taxpayer dollars, that males that on their birth certificate are males or boys will use the boys' room, and those who birth certificates say they're a girl will use the women's room, and that's just big debate in North Carolina, and so the NBA is taking a stand. They're gonna pull their all-star game until the law changes. Now, I don't know what aspects of the law they want to change. There's some aspects of the law I'd probably change. I'm curious to see if they strip out certain parts what the NBA is gonna do with that. And so I'm listening to ESPN Radio, and... Um, I can only listen to these kind of things so long, and my, I just peg, right? And so my blood boils, and it boils because we've become so stupid as a culture. And here's what we've become stupid about. So this guy, he's, he's, on, he's on ESPN radio, and he's the co-host, and he's a, he's a practicing homosexual, and he's on, he's, he, he, he's on the radio. He obviously grew up in church. I don't know what kind he didn't say, but it was obviously he had some church background. He was talking about God the creator, and finally he said this. He said, listen, what I'd finally decided was to throw the book out. That's what he said. 
Now, here's where my blood boils, and here's why we become stupid. And so he's on, the, he's on the radio, and the host is acting like this is the smartest, most intelligent thing that's ever been said. Mmm, oh, man, that's great. Oh, I know. Throw the book out. And here's why we become stupid. If you throw the book out, there's no way to know morality. See, I wanted to get on the, on the radio and go, do you think ISIS is wrong when they senselessly kill people with a truck full of explosives? I do. And I suspect this person would say, yes, I do. And then my next question would be, well, how do you know? See, once you throw the book out, it's to each his own, right? And by the way, if you want to go, well, society has told us because moral majority rules. By the way, has, has the majority ever been wrong in the issue of morality? Yes. Tr I told the sound guy, I was afraid I was going to go off script and say something stupid, all right? I should just bury my head in my notes. All right, here we go. The issue for us is truth. In fact, I would challenge us with, if Christianity is not true, we shouldn't believe it. It's not, it, our pursuit is truth, and we can't know truth in and of ourselves. I had this really smart professor in seminary, and he said this, this is gonna blow your minds, it's so smart, ready? He said, truth cannot be both be and non-be at the same time. I don't know what that meant, but it sounded good, didn't it? Yeah, don't ask. That was worth $30,000 education right there. So, In other words, you can't have two conflicting things and they be true. So when I'm listening to ESPN Radio, it's obvious I disagree with the guy, but so if we disagree, why is his idea better than my idea? You can't have two people and go, well, you're, you're, we can have conflicting ideas and they be true. Truth cannot be both be and non-be at the same time. Somebody, ready? Somebody, I'm gonna say it out loud. Somebody's gotta be right and somebody's got to be, ready? In the area of truth. That doesn't mean we're mean. It doesn't mean we're, we're in any, it's not my job. At the end of the day, I am not the judge. At the end of the day, I am not the judge. Coastal is not the judge. At the end of the day, God is the judge. Mount Sinai will judge us. Does that make sense? And so you can't throw out the book. Or you better choose your book wisely. Because if we throw out the book, we end up at the end of the, the, end of the, the, end of the book of Judges. The Bible says in Israel, everybody was running around and was doing what was right in their own eyes. And, and as a culture, we've gone so far from the book, we, we don't even know that little girls should use the girls' room and little boys should use the boys' room. That's how confused we've come, become. You can't throw out the book. Mount Sinai is incredibly important so that we know the God who is. We don't get to worship the God of our making because if we worship the God of our making, guess who we're saying is God? My thoughts. My thoughts. And so Mount Sinai is a, the, the, it's a terribly important place to start with the gospel. 
And by the way, I'm not, I'm not throwing one sexual sin out there. Mount Sinai reveals all of our sin. Does that make sense? I read Mount Sinai and I go lump me in with everybody else. That's why we sang a song this morning that said we invite all the sinners get to come and worship at Mount Zion, right? That's the next mountain we're about to look at. The problem for the human race is we are all sinners. We've all rebelled against God's character and Mount Sinai reveals that for us so that we recognize I I don't deserve to be in the presence of of a holy God. I don't get to accept my sin as okay and redefine the character of our God. Now, the author of Hebrews makes a big change right here. Okay, ready? Here's the big change. He uses the word but. In NLT, it says it's like a shouting of a no. It's a transitional word, okay? No, verse 22. Or but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. There's a second mountain This is Mount Sinai, and we recognize, man, I don't belong in the presence of God. But now the author says, but you're different. Now let me give this context, okay? He's writing to first century Jewish people who have grown up under the Old Testament. Christ came, he died, buried, resurrected, he ascended. He says, go and plant churches, every tribe, tongue, and nation, until I come again, okay? So now this group of people say, yes, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and now the culture is persecuting them, and it's taking their stuff, and it's throwing them in prison, and they're thinking, you know what, it might be better to go back to the old mountain. It might be better to go back to the old way of life, because this is costing us something, And so the others say, no, that's not you any longer. You've now come to the new mountain, Mount Zion. It's the old mountain was an earthly mountain, but the new mountain is a heavenly revelation. The old mountain was given to us by Moses, a mere man, but the new mountain has been revealed to us through God's son, Jesus Christ. Don't you dare go back. Does that make sense? Let me catch my breath. Okay. So this new mountain is the living God, the text says. It's the city of the living God. We, we worship a God who is not disinterested. He cares for you. And he's in the middle of this holy city, the city of Mount Zion. And he's concerned for you. And, and, and it's a heavenly mountain. The second mountain is a heavenly mountain, not an earthly mountain, a heavenly mountain, which means it's eternal, God is taking us to something that's forever and ever and ever. And and he invites us to join with the angelic party. Which, by the way, if you know the writings of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3.19, he talks about how the angels mediated Mount Sinai. And so now they're a part of Mount Zion, the heavenly party. And we're invited to join the celebration. We're invited to join with the church's celebration. The text says it's the assembly of God's firstborn children. The word assembly is from the word church, which means to be called out or set apart to be different. That's why this morning I wanted to picture the church, 
The church is what God is doing. The church is, is responsible for, for spreading the name and fame of Jesus Christ. The church is responsible to invite those to be a part of Mount Zion and not a part of Mount Zion, uh, Sinai. The church is the firstborn. Now, let me back up. Y'all will remember this, right? Remember when we talked about this in Hebrews earlier on where a lot of times we read firstborn and, we, and, we, and it's applied to Christ at times in the scriptures. It's applied to Jesus. And a lot of people say, man, that shows that Jesus is not eternal. No, the Bible's very, very clear. Jesus is co-eternal with our heavenly father. Okay, firstborn is a legal term which has to do with the heir of all things. And so Jesus is the firstborn, meaning he's going to be the heir of all the blessings of God. And you want to hear some really amazing news this morning. So I've kind of preached the bad news. Let me give you some amazing news. The Bible says that those who have repented and believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ are now co-heirs with Christ. So all the blessings that God the Father has given to his son Jesus are now also given to Jesus' children for those who repent and believe in him. How about that? Okay. Now, I want to be clear for a minute, all right? It's easy to make that an earthly blessing. It's easy to run that through this kind of this American Christian grid and go, well, that's an earthly blessing. No, he's talking about eternal blessings. He's writing to people who are being thrown in prison because they're Christians. It is not unthinkable to run that and say, that could happen in this culture. It's not unthinkable. But we keep our, we're co-heirs with Christ. Romans chapter eight, the apostle Paul says this about those who believe in Jesus. He says, and since we're his children, we are his what, church? Isn't that cool? You think it'd be great to be the, the child of Bill Gates? You're the child in Christ. If you've repented and believed, you're the child of God in Christ. How incredible is that? We're heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we're heirs of God's glory. I don't know what exactly that is, but I suspect it's going to be amazing. Now, here's the hard part, right? Here's the part that doesn't get, this is the part that doesn't get preached on enough. But if we share in his glory, what are we also going to share in? What does it say, church? Like while we're on earth, this, this 70 or 80 years, it's going to be difficult. Christ suffered, we're going to suffer so that we could share in his glory that's going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Romans 8, 29, for God knew his, and Paul goes on to say, same chapter, Romans 8, God, for God knew his people in advance, that's the doctrine of election, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn. Again, the idea of firstborn is not that Jesus had a starting point. It's a legal term talking about the, uh, the blessings of God and inheritance, if you will, would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The second mountain blesses all of those who are heirs with Christ. Mount Zion so because of Mount Zion, because of Christ, we get to enter God's presence. This text reminds us that God is still judged. That has not changed. God is still gonna, has the right to judge and even consume sinners. But the good news of Mount Zion is, is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news has to be set in contrast with the bad news for you to have understanding. 
Hebrews 12, 24, you have come to Jesus, the author says, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and his people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Let me unpack this for you, okay? This is just a, it's a rehash of all we've been talking about all summer. In Christ, we are clothed, if you repent of your sin and you believe in the person of Christ, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So in other words, when you acknowledge that you're a sinner and you repent, and let me stop here for a minute because I've used that term several times this morning. The word repent means 180 degrees. I'm doing things my own way. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn 180 degrees. I'm going to do things God's way. I'm going to trust in the character of God. I'm going to trust in the law of God that is good and righteous and true. And then you believe by God's grace through faith, you believe in the person of Jesus Christ. And here's what your faith is in. You ready? Your faith is in that God is true to his word. And his word has told us that Jesus is the perfect son of God. His word has told us that he died a substitutionary death where God's wrath and judgment was poured out on Christ to satisfy his judgment upon sin. That he died a death that he didn't deserve, that we, had, we, had, we deserved. And then to authenticate his ministry and to authenticate his message, he rose again from the grave knowing that uh, we are co-heirs, that if we suffer with him, we die with him. In Christ, we will be raised again to eternal life. It's the message. And so in that, the works of Jesus Christ, the fact that he is perfect, are graciously given to us so that we are clothed in righteousness, not our own righteousness, but by grace through faith, you are clothed in the good works of Jesus Christ so that when you stand there, as if you're standing on Mount Sinai, instead of Mount Sinai, you're now standing on Mount Zion. Why? Because you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ and it's no longer doing, it is done. It's the doctrine of justification. Done. And so the good news is by grace through faith, not you can't, and, and this is what's so beautiful about the gospel. It's for everyone. It doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter you know, you, you, the bad habits you have, it doesn't matter your skin color, it doesn't matter what country you were born in, it doesn't matter what country you live in now. The message is the same for all. We all stand condemned at Mount Sinai and we all have the hope of Mount Zion by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And in the in-between time, this is a rehash of what we've learned, Jesus is pleading us home because the author says he's the, he's the mediator of the new covenant. This is a reminder of Hebrews 6, 19, that Jesus is now in the holy place in the presence of his heavenly father and he's interceding for us. Literally, he is praying us home and our salvation is secure because he is in the presence of our heavenly father making sure our salvation will happen, we will find its finality. He's the anchor that holds within the veil, if you will. That was the text. And his shed blood has covered our sin, right? You should know this by now because we've covered this. If you've been here all these weeks through Hebrews, right? Without the shedding of blood, what is there, church? No forgiveness of sins. 
And so Jesus' perfectly shed blood is why our sins are forgiven. He was perfect, his blood was shed. It was a better offering than Abel's offering. It was a better blood than what was required at Mount Sinai. His offering of bloodshed was a perfect sacrifice. And so in the face of persecution, in the face of losing everything, this author asks these people, which mountain are you gonna stand on? You gonna stand on Mount Zion or are you gonna stand on Mount Sinai? I think this is a pro man, I've been I've been I've been hoping in my spirit and in my prayers this week that as a church we would understand this. In the face of all roads lead to God, I challenge you with which mountain are you gonna stand on? Are you gonna stand on Mount Zion or are you gonna stand on Mount Sinai? Church, if we were to face persecution, if we suffer with him, we are also gonna share with him. And it's going, if we face persecution, which mountain are we gonna stand on? So the author pleads, stand on the right mountain. Stand on the right mountain. Hebrews 12, 25, be careful. It's like this final plead with these people. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only the unshakable things will remain. You know what those unshakable things are? The words of God. We don't get to manipulate them. We don't get to choose which ones we think are true or not true. The author's saying the words of God are unshakable. And if everything else disappears, God's word, why? Because why are God's words unshakable? Because it's his character, it's who he is. If his words were not true, he would cease to be God. And since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot that is unshakable, let's be thankful and Please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. And so the author's saying the greater rejection is to reject the heavenly messenger. The first mountain was earthly. The first mountain came and shook the ground, but the second messenger is Jesus Christ. He came straight from heaven. I would, I would propose to you this morning, I think what the author is saying this morning is that you sit in, a time, in the timeline of redemptive history. You sit in a time of greater responsibility than even the people of Israel. Well, that's not fair. They saw the plagues. They saw the party in the Red Sea. I propose to you that the author is telling us, challenging us, God has given us the greatest miracle of all. The revelation from heaven, his son Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died a death he didn't deserve, and he conquered the grave. And part of the problem of American Christianity is we're sitting around waiting for greater miracles. He, we're waiting for the big healing or the big you know, blessing or whatever, and that's a huge problem in American Christianity. Why are we waiting for a greater miracle? The other saying, we've already seen the greatest miracle of God. 
We sit on the other side of redemptive history. We have, we are in more of a, of a time of responsibility than the children of Israel in Exodus 19 and 20. God's already done his greatest work. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whenever I sit around going, man, I need to see more from God, I just, I, const- I meditate on the gospel. I mean, really, what more do I want? And that's why the author of Hebrews, I think, says this. Hebrews 10, 29, remember this? He says, just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy, as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy upon us. Some of you have sat here week in and week out, and you have yet to trust Christ as Savior, and I want to challenge you. The Bible says we are, you run the risk of looking at the person and work of Christ and treating it as if it was common, like going to a ball game or something. And he wants you to look at the gospel and say, what God did in Christ is incredible, and you should be blown away by Mount Zion. And if the Spirit of God is tugging on your heart in that, room, in that way, you need to respond today. That's why the author throughout this text has said, today, 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 today. You got it, right? It is the day of salvation. And if you're here this morning, and maybe you're a Christian, but man, you've been kind of waffling, because that's where these people in Hebrews are, like they're thinking about going back the old way. I want to encourage you, look and contemplate on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an incredible miracle that God is offering you Mount Zion, co-heirs with Christ. And I can guarantee you, if you're a believer, because this is me, I'm preaching to Sean Brown for a minute. When I start to waver on, you know, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me, I have not thought long and hard enough about eternity. I've gotten way too earthly minded. Because we're a part of an unshakable kingdom, this text says. Death can't swallow it up. Our Savior already swallowed up death. And so therefore, because we're part of this unshakable kingdom, our worship, okay, let's talk about our worship for a minute. It's both Mount Zion and Mount Sinai. Our worship as Christians should be holy in all. That's what the text says. We should worship with reverence. And we need to be mindful of this character of God, that he's holy, he's set apart, he's the judge, and we can worship with praise. Praising God for bringing us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the author, before he transitions to a bunch of so what's really practical stuff, you know, since you're a part of an unshakable kingdom, this is what that unshakable kingdom looks like, verse chapter 13. He finishes with this, and it's one of the four God is statements of the New Testament. Ready? Hebrews 12, 29. For our God is, what's it say, church? This is his final reminder. This is an important warning.
God of the Bible is not to be taken lightly. The return to Mount Sinai is a big deal. There are a lot of souls in this room this morning. You're created for eternity. And one day you're going to stand before the God of the universe, appointed, we already covered this, appointed once for a man to die after that judgment. And it is a matter of which mountain you will stand upon at judgment. If you stand there in your own volition, your own works, you will stand there on Mount Sinai and it will be terrifying and it will be consuming because the just wrath of God will be poured out upon you. Or you can believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the most incredible miracle of all the Son of God wrapped in flesh, keeping all of the Ten Commandments perfectly every moment of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. And he was crucified where the Mount Sinai of God, the wrath of God, was poured out upon him. He bore the wrath, God's hatred of sin, my sin and your sin, as he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then they laid him in a tomb and death couldn't hold him. And he rose again on the third day authenticating everything that he said he was and did and who he was. And so the author reminds that the new covenant is Mount Zion. And for those who repent and believe they are co-heirs of all the goodness and mercy and grace and love of God. And if the Holy Spirit is working on you this morning, do not trample the shed blood of Christ underfoot. Do not walk out of here this morning and take that lightly. Or you run the risk standing upon Mount, Zion, Mount Sinai on the day you stand before God. Mount Zion is offered. Do me a favor, bow your head and close your eyes. If you're here this morning and the Spirit of God is working on your heart that is a gracious, gracious gift of God. We've heard 10, 12 weeks of messages. And the Spirit of God has had an opportunity to move, and maybe this morning He is moving in your heart. It doesn't matter how long you've waited. It doesn't matter who's sitting beside you. Today is the day of salvation. That's a decision 
on which mountain you will choose to stand. And so I'm going to offer a prayer. It's just a guide for you to get right with God, to do business with God this morning. And I pray that His Holy Spirit is working you over, drawing you into the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I understand that I have sinned. I, to this point in my life, have been choosing to stand upon Mount Sinai, choosing to rebel against your character and do what I want to do the way I want to do it. And I've recognized by your word this morning and by the grace of your Holy Spirit that that is a terrifying place to be. I recognize this morning that I run the risk of trampling underfoot the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, Heavenly Father, I acknowledge my rebellion and my sin, and I repent as best I understand, God. I repent of my sin. And I bow a knee to the Lordship and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to stand on Mount Zion. I want to be co-heirs with Christ to have the eternal blessing, love, grace, mercy, and goodness that you are offering through the gospel of Christ this morning. And so as best I understand it, I put my trust in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray, amen.